Rebel football hits the road as they play the Cow Bears Saturday at 12.30 on ESPN Las Vegas, 1100 AM and 100.9 FM, KWWN Las Vegas. This the remix. We got to get him out this league. You know, he's been, he's been dominating this league too long. Uh, he keeps coming back. He's like, uh, <laughs> I might say it to him in person and I was about to say, but I'm not going to say it out loud. I feel like there's always room for improvement, no matter what it is, and like just get my mind to a to a place where I know it needs to be. You know, it's just like you can be in the off season; it could be February, you could be locked in and focused. But like once the season's here, like it just continues going up. Like that level of intensity, that level of focus, um, and it gets a little bit more real. So yeah, for me, um, no matter what it is, watching shows, reading, like little things like that. Like every morning, I get something to just get my mind right and just turn that notch up a little bit. Um, you know, once the season gets here, so I'm just fired up. Um, yeah, you know, I feel like, um, you know, week one is it's always interesting. You don't know really what you're going to get. You know, obviously teams go into an off season and they make adjustments. So you can watch the film, but there's obviously going to be changes. Um, but I feel like it just, you know, you got to focus on fundamentals and just focus on the details, um, not letting the game get too big. Just focus on your job and uh, uh, be at your best every snap. Back to the Press Box Summer Edition. Raiders get the season started on Sunday with a trip to take on the Chargers. Do want to take a little big picture look here. Let me let me ask you this, Ed. End of the season, uh, just we'll just say points scored or whatever. Where does the Raiders' offense rank in the NFL? Top fifteen. <laughs> <laughs> Is that vague enough for you? It's pretty vague. It's That's pretty vague. <laughs> So you don't. You're, so Jason Fitz came on yesterday, and he called it the top five offense, right? Which obviously Jason Fitz is our optimistic Raiders fan yes. that joins the show. Um, I'm assuming you're not that optimistic, but you're not even saying like, "Hey, they're the ninth best offense in the league" or whatever. Top fifteen. All right. So the reason I ask is because the general consensus is somewhere between 15 and optimistic Jason Fitz of five. Of five. I think most people are assuming this offense is going to be... Top 10? 10th or so, right? Around that mark. Maybe they're ninth, maybe they're 11th, whatever. But around 10. And so we've got a couple different sites that have done uh, big rankings of NFL teams by their offense and by their defense. So first off, offensively, ESPN did a rankings, Mike Clay, and he pegged the Raiders' offense as 15th best in the NFL. Um, The Ringer also did a ranking. They used DVOA, EPA, adjusted game loss. A lot of stats I like. And they came in with the Raiders offense rank of 13th. So 13th, 15th best offense. Are the Raiders going to the playoffs if they have the 13th, 14th, or 15th best offense in the NFL? I guess it depends also on how their defense plays. So, and, and by the way, let me ask you this before you go on in terms of your DVA, DVOA and all these stats. I assume the offensive line plays a big part in this So, in terms of the stats. The way ESPN did it, they ranked each position group. Including the offensive line. Which came in at 30th in the NFL. That brings the average down. Right. Um, the ringer did not do it by position groups just as a whole, looking at like uh, what their projected DVOA or EPA are, which... Offensive line does play into that, right? Like they had a rank, they did you have a ranking of them being 27th going into the season. So it does absolutely play into where these projections are. So if the offense is around 13, 14, 15, the defensive rankings on both these projections, the ringer 
has the Raiders defense at 22nd. ESPN has the Raiders defense at 20th. So does the, let's say, 14th best offense and the 21st best defense get to the postseason? I think it gets to 9-8 and eight in a wild card. So you think 9-8 and eight would be good enough to be in the postseason? Yes, I think okay. you get a wild card. I think if we're talking about the Raiders offense as the 14th best offense in football this year, they are under 500 and not in the postseason. Okay. I do not believe if this offense is not a top 10 offense. That what they if are the going defense is a lot better than 20th? If it's a lot better, I, I'll be honest. I think 20th is higher than where the defense is going to finish this year. I do not think this is going to be the 20th best defense in football. But if it was, if we, if it's the, if they're 14th in offense and 16th, 16th in, defense, in defense, then yeah. Yeah. That's probably a nine and eight team or maybe 10 and seven. If you know, a couple close games go their way or something, that's probably a team right on the edge of the playoffs. But if we're talking about, the 14th best offense and to me, the 21st best defense, or I think they will be worse and more like the 25th best defense. That's, to me, it's not a playoff team, right? Especially given their not schedule. Not if it's 25th. Yeah. That's not a good defense. Especially given their schedule. It's going right. to be difficult. They're not going to be able to back in to the playoffs. They're going to have to win nine or 10 games for sure to be in the postseason, right? And yeah, I mean, listen, I don't think it happens. There's a chance the seven seed in the AFC this year has 11 wins. There's a, there's, there's many good teams in the AFC. There's a chance that you have to win 11 games to be in the postseason this year, especially if you come down to the end and you're losing tiebreakers, right? There's a chance yeah. you go 10 and seven or 10 and seven and you are not in the postseason because you lose the tiebreaker or something like that. I just, to me, I will be, makes it. I will be surprised if the Raiders offense is not top 10 and they're in the postseason. That would be a shock to me. Now to look at some of these position groups that ESPN did. Um, these are, these are quite interesting to me. Quarterback. Raiders have the 13th best quarterbacks in the NFL. That's kind of around where he's always ranked. Right. He's, he's always 12. 12, yeah. He's always 12. So, I don't, 13, maybe it's a little low, but it's, it's in the it's ballpark. It's around where he always right. is. So, I don't think that's too ridiculous. Running backs came in at 22nd. Uh, probably a little low, but it's running backs. I don't think it's super important that you have the top. And they've got a bunch of them, right. and they're, it's hard to understand how they're going to use them. That's not that bad. Uh, tight ends came in at fourth. I think that's completely fair. Offensive line at 30th, like we said, also completely fair. The offensive position group that I thought was most interesting, the Raiders wide receivers come in at 10th. Yeah. 10th best wide receivers in the league with Devontae Adams and Hunter Renfro. Does that seem too low? I think it seems too low. So you have I'll, the best wide receiver in football, and you have a really, really good slot guy in Renfro. So I'll name off the wide receiver groups Who, that ESPN deemed were better. The Bengals, the Bucks, the Dolphins, the Cardinals, the Vikings, the Chargers, the Seahawks, the Saints, and the Rams were all deemed to have better wide receivers than the Raiders. Um, we don't need to go through these one by one, but I, I do think there are some... Like I do think the Bengals are pretty fair. Yes, they're better than the Raiders. But are the Cardinals, do they have better receivers? Like DeAndre Hopkins is suspended. They He's traded, suspended. They traded for Hollywood Brown, who right. hasn't been that good. Uh, granted, he was in Baltimore where they run the ball more. Rondale Moore is their third best guy. Like, it, it's Are the Chargers better? I like the Chargers receivers, but I don't know if I'm taking Keenan Allen and, and Mike, Mike Williams, Williams over Adams and Renfro. No. But I think it's it's close enough. But here's, I think here's probably the key, and they didn't actually write on why the Raiders were 10th best receivers. Who is the third best wide receiver on the Raiders? I think that's part of the problem here. 
the Raiders might, we might look at this season and say they have the worst wide receiver depth of any good team. Some bad teams are going to have some terrible wide receiver depth. But I think of any playoff contender, we might be talking about the Raiders having the worst wide receiver depth in the NFL. Because it's, listen, Adams and Renfro, fantastic one-two. But after that, I mean, you're choosing between DJ Turner, Matt Collins, Tyron Johnson. Right. So I think that's I think that's probably the reasoning for why they don't have as good a wide receivers. Because like if you go through the Bucks, right? They went and got Julio Jones. They they have uh, Mike Evans, obviously. Chris Godwin may or may not play in Week One, but like they've got good and uh, they got Russell Gage, who was one of the top receivers in Atlanta last year, right? Like the Buccaneers. I'm taking the Raiders top two over Great. the Bucks top two, but the Bucks actually have a third and fourth wide receiver that you could be like, oh, he could have a good season. So I think it's about depth. And because injuries happen in football, and I don't know if this went into their rankings, but when you look at the Raiders wide receivers, what happens if Devontae Adams gets hurt? Oh, that's a great point. Like, yeah. They we're go, talking about Matt Collins well, and DJ Turner lining up outside. <laughs> They're not tenth anymore. <laughs> so I, I not, and again, not that these are factored into these rankings here, but in all seriousness, if Devon, even if it's just for like two games, right? What does this passing game look like if Adams is hurt? Yeah. Renfro and Waller could still be there and still be good, right? But if they lose Adams, all of a sudden you're talking about outside wide receivers named Matt Collins and DJ Turner, or I mean, hell, Karen Johnson, a practice squad guy at that point. So. That because go like take Tampa, if they lose Mike Evans for two weeks, they could have Chris Godwin, Julio Jones, and Russell Gage, right. which is way better than Mac Hollins and DJ Turner. Same with, you know, Cincinnati. If they lost Jamar Chase for a couple games, they still have T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd. Right. Who Higgins is probably better as a slot guy than Hunter Renfro, and Tyler Boyd is definitely better than any third wide receiver that the Raiders are putting out there. So I think that's where that comes in. Now, defensive positions. Edge rushers, they came in at fourth. Only the Chargers, Browns, and Saints have better okay. edge rushers than right. the Raiders. That's fair. Seems pretty fair. Linebackers, they came in at 10th. I don't know if that matters because they're going to play. How many linebackers are they going to play? play? The one, one guy's 10th, right. ranked 10th? So I don't know if that matters where they came in at linebackers. Um, defensive tackles, 30th. Do they have the third way? third worst defensive tackles in the league? That's a that's that, really low. Right. It's it's bad. I, I think it's probably fair because the names, right? Are we talking about Bilal Nichols and stuff like that? The names aren't there, but I do think they're going to be better than 30th with their with their interior. Well, they better defense. No matter how good the edge yeah. guys are, they better be better than 30th. I think they'll be better. Not not necessarily top half of the league, but better than 30th. The secondary though, safeties at 14th. I mean, a lot of that I think has to do with John Abram. I thought it seemed high. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I, th- I, I think. Anything that's anything that's in the teens is going to be done do do with John Abram. Well, I think it's high because I'm not sure Trayvon Merrick is that good either. Like he's a good I think safety, he's good. but is he good enough to be like, oh yeah, top half of the league safety? When you know Jonathan Abram is not going to be a top half of the league strong safety. No. So like, is Merrick that good that he sort of? They must think Merrick's that yeah. good because they're not they're not voting them high based on Jonathan right. Abram. So I was I was surprised that the safeties if they get 14th best safety play this Should. year. Yeah, cornerbacks 26th. Well. All right, Rocky Sin and <laughs> Nate Hobbs. I mean, Nate right. Hobbs had a nice year last year. And but... you trade away Trayvon Mullen, so it's yeah. it's sort of like a, all right. I well, don't think that's unfair. No, I don't either. Um, so I, I think defensively, 
not nothing's really outlandish there defensively, right? Maybe the defensive tackles are too low. Uh, maybe, maybe the safeties, the safeties are, are a little too high. high. But otherwise, nothing outlandish. Court, or offense seems pretty solid, except I, I was surprised to see wide receivers ranked as 10th right. best this year. But again, I think that comes down to depth. If you tell me that Adams and Renfro stay healthy for the entirety of the season, they're fine. You can run Mac Hollins out there as your third wide receiver, DJ Turner, whatever, and you're fine. They run into some injury issues with those two. That, I think, is where the problems start to come because now all of a sudden it's okay. You've lost Devontae Adams or something, and it's Matt Collins and DJ Turner have to be out there on the field. All right, coming up next, it's Bischoff's Briefs. Bischoff's Briefs. So I, uh, I figured it out. Bischoff's Briefs. My hot dogs come in packages of 10 and hot dog buns come in packages of 8. Bischoff's briefs. See, the thing is that life doesn't always work out according to plan. Bischoff's briefs. So, if you have what you got, you can always get a hot dog. Football season's here, but I got to give you a little bit of basketball. John Rothstein had his own predictions for the Mountain West this year. You ready for him? Coming in as the champions of the Mountain West, San Diego State. Following that up, Wyoming at second. Colorado State at third. New Mexico, Boise State, Utah State rounding out the top six, which means John Rostin, as UNLV projected, as the seventh best team in the Mountain West, followed by Fresno State, Nevada, San Jose State, and Air Force. If UNLV finishes seventh in the Mountain West this year, how are we describing the season? Failed season. Yeah, disaster was my word. Okay. So a seventh place finish in the Mountain West probably means they're like eight and ten right. in the Mountain West, something along those lines, under five hundred, but not like completely awful. Which means from a total win standpoint, they'd have to go twelve and zero in the non conference to get to twelve. Well wins. now <laughs> possible. Now you're saying it's possible. <laughs> <laughs> but seventh in the Mountain West with an eight and ten conference record or something along those lines is not going to be enough to get into the NCAA tournament. It's not going to be enough to get into the NIT, right? It's not a good team if they go 8-10 and in the Mountain West, right? So, do you believe 7th place projection is fair for UNLV right now? Well, one, I'll tell you right off the top, I'd switch one and two. Oh, you put Wyoming first. I would put Wyoming first, San Diego State second. Uh, Yeah, I mean, look, it's... They're at a point to me where it's prove it if we believe it. And they haven't been in the NCAA tournament since 2013. So I don't blink at any predictions that have UNLV as the seventh place team. It doesn't, I now, I think they can finish higher than that, but I'm not going to say that's completely unfair. They have to prove it. They have to go out and prove that they're, you know, a top tier team in this league. So if you look at the six teams projected ahead of them, right? I take San Diego State and Wyoming. If you tell me that UNLV finishes behind those two in the Mountain West. That's fine. Yeah, San Diego State's going to be good. Wyoming returns their two and best they players. A lot of those SC kids. Yeah. I mean, they're going to be good. It should be really good. Honestly, if you tell me they finish behind Boise State, that's fine. Boise State's like an inevitable top five team in the Mountain West every year. Like they're not actually good most seasons, but they're in the top five. Right. So that's fine. The three schools that jump out to me as varying levels of uh, that's a little bit concerning. Number one is Utah State. Right? UNLV finished ahead of Utah State last season. Yes, Utah State did blow UNLV out in the one time they played, but overall standings, UNLV was ahead of Utah State. 
And so if Utah State finishes ahead of UNLV, that will mean that you allowed Utah State to jump you in the offseason. And as far as I know right now, Utah State does not have another Nemish Cato or Sam right. Merrill, which were two, you know, mountain all Mountain West first team guys, right? I don't know that they, I don't think they landed anybody that's going to be that good. And if they're now better than you, you kind of failed. The other one that I'm interested in is Colorado State. Lost um, Roddy. They lost David Roddy, right? Colorado State lost its best player. And if you're telling me that you're in the Mountain West and Colorado State loses its best player and you still can't be better than them, that to me is a bit concerning about how good of a roster Kevin Kruger can build. And then here's the big one to me. This is the real concerning one. I see the name. New Mexico. Got good guards. UNLV and New Mexico have basically been in the same spot for six years or whatever it's been, right? Two programs that should be good in the Mountain West. Two programs that have good history in college basketball but have not been very good for six-plus years, whatever it is. I think it's, what is it, eight years for UNLV, and I think it's seven years for New Mexico since for they've been the in the NCAA tournament. tournament. So two programs that have basically been the same, right? They've been, some of the times they've been really bad, sometimes they've just been an average Mountain West team, but for the most part, they have not been very good in the Mountain West. If New Mexico, who was bad last year, goes from bottom tier in the Mountain West to, to ahead top five. of you, right, to ahead of you in the Mountain West, you basically got jumped and beaten by the team that you've been on the same level with for the longest time. Like to some extent, it's been a pathetic race, but it's been a race between New Mexico and UNLV to get back to relevance in college basketball. And New Mexico has actually been worse off than UNLV the last couple of seasons. If New Mexico jumps you, gets ahead of you, and is you know a top five team in the Mountain West or whatever, is a potential NCAA tournament level team or NIT level team, you will have lost the race to the other struggling good program in this conference. And to me, that would be a very bad sign for Kevin Kruger in this program to have New Mexico basically have so much better of an offseason than you that they go from bottom three in the Mountain West to top four or five in the Mountain West. So UNLV finishing seventh, it sounds bad as it is, but when you consider the teams that will have to be ahead of them, it sounds even If, in worse. fact, this happens. Right. Again, this is John Rothstein's projections. Doesn't really mean anything, right? We're going to get the Mountain West uh, preseason picks here. In Which will mean nothing a else. A month or something. Right. It doesn't. You can, if they, they can be picked to finish seventh, and if they finish second or third, great Good job. Them. Right. Yeah. You might be in the NCAA tournament if you're second or right. third in the Mountain West. So that it doesn't mean a whole lot. But if this is how it plays out, that is a disaster. And like you said, right now, it's perfectly fair to pick them seventh. Right, there's sure. no, they haven't they haven't proven otherwise. They went to Canada and lost to a Canadian college team. Like, it's not a good thing. So I think it's a perfectly fair projection. What place was UNLV last year? Place they finished last year, uh, five. Fifth. They were they were in the five fifth. four They're game. Fifth, I'm right? pretty sure they were the five seed. Yeah. yeah. So so when I say they haven't proven, I'm saying that they haven't proven to be contenders. Right, and they haven't been to the semifinals of the Mountain West tournament in I can't remember the year. It's been like. Seven or eight years, maybe right. longer than that. So they've been to the semi, the semifinals of the tournament they host every single year. They haven't gotten to the semis. They always lose in the quarterfinals. It's incredible that they haven't been to just the semis. So it's definitely been an underperforming program. And if they finish seventh, here's the thing to me. If they finish seventh this year and we're trying to project out the future of UNLV basketball, it's going to be hard for me to be optimistic about what Kevin Kruger is going to do. Because what are they going to do next year? Is he suddenly going to find a superstar in the transfer portal? Because he, in two years, he hasn't found a superstar. 
right? The only one he had was Bryce Hamilton, and now he's gone. So that, to me, I will be very concerned about the future of UNLV under Kevin Kruger if they finish seventh in the Mountain West because we will have seen two years, him go in the transfer portal, bring out a whole bunch of guys, and if they finish fifth one year, seventh one year, what's, I mean, what's going to make you think it'll be Isaiah different? Stevens? Yeah, they still have Isaiah Stevens. Okay. Like Colorado State should still be good. But if a team... And I don't know. I can't tell you about their transfers. If it, they, they did land some transfers. I know Wyoming got some yeah. good transfers. But like... I think Wyoming's going to be really good. Yeah, they probably should be. Although, they should be. They bring everyone back. They've, yeah. got, uh, they've got the big. They've got um, Maldonado. They've got some transfers. San Diego State's going to be very good. Um, Jalen House is at New Mexico. Uh, you're right about Boise. No matter who they have, he always... <laughs> they're in the top five. No matter five. who they have, he always <laughs> seems to get them in the top five. Doesn't mean they're always going to the NCAA tournament. Usually no. they don't. Right. But they're in the top five in the Mountain West every single year. So it's just a, like, just projecting out this season, if they're the seven seed in the Mountain West, they go eight and ten, even if they go something like ten and two in the non-conference, right? Still only 18 wins. And... Well, they better go ten and two in the non-conference. <laughs> it's still only 18 wins, and it's it's just going to be hard to look at the future of UNLV basketball and be excited because what what's going to change, right? If they have last season where they're the five seed, lose in the quarterfinals, and then this year they're the seven seed and lose in the quarterfinals or whatever, what is it that's going to change about Kevin Kruger and this program in the future that would make anything different? Because he's hit the transfer portal hard, right? And he's gotten good players out of the transfer portal, but he probably hasn't gotten, he hasn't gotten good enough players, if they finish seventh, hasn't gotten good enough players out of the transfer portal. And what's going to make you think that that's suddenly going to change in the future? They're not really recruiting high school kids that heavily, right? That has not no. been a big part of this program. So what's going to change about the way this program operates if they do, in fact, finish seventh that gives you optimism for the future? I'll have to now hear Now, let me ask you it. this. Do you think they finish higher than seventh? Yes. Because I think they do. Yes. I think they, I think they will be seventh. better than Utah State. Yes. I New Mexico is also in the same, you've got to see it before you believe right. it. So... I think they finish I think ahead they're of Utah top five State. Team. I think there's a good chance they're ahead of New Mexico, and I think we're talking about top five. They're top in four. they're in the level with Boise State, right. right? That that's where they are, which is probably not an NCAA tournament team, maybe an NIT team, but most likely not. And it's a you know you're hey you're ninety first in Ken Palm or something like that. I think they're better than seventh. Absolutely, I don't I don't buy Utah State yet, and New, Mexico, buy New Mexico. We'll see. Maybe they're good. Maybe they finally got it figured out, but. Like UNLV until we see it, eh, not going to believe New Mexico is any good, and they've actually been worse than UNLV. So yes, they've even got a bigger mountain to climb to get back to the top of this conference. So no, I don't think they finish seventh. Neither I do think, I. I think, think it's top more, five. yeah, of a fifth place team, and we're kind of having a well, they've been okay in two years under Kevin Kruger, but not great. And what does that mean for the future? Where do they find the star player that puts them over the top? All right, coming up next, J.R. Starkish joins the show. Ready for the weekend? It's like I picked the wrong week to quit drinking. Let's find out what's on tap with J.R. Starkus. Champagne, perfume going in, sewage coming out. Here he is, follow him on Twitter, at J.R. Starkus, Director of Business Development, Southern Glares Wine Spirits of Nevada, our extreme mixologist. Okay, ha- you get, be honest now. <laughs> Have you been listening to the show and know the question I'm going to ask you? Yes. Oh, no. Oh, no. I, I just... I'm gonna. I can't qualify it either. Tyler said I can't qualify it. I must just ask you straight, straight like whiskey. Uh, 
one thing you've never had. Okay, go ahead. No, exactly. <laughs> no, exactly. You're right. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> Do you like parades? Uh, no. What a but blowout. 7-3. It's a blowout. It's a blowout. But, here, here's, but there are exceptions, okay? Um, so, like, the reason I don't like parades is because, first of all, there's just too many people. Um, it blocks traffic up for if you're trying to get in that area. That <laughs> frustrates me like no other, right? Uh, there's you, there's there's never a place to like use the bathroom if you have to go to the bathroom. Like all of these things are problems for. I, I, they should be a problem for anybody. I don't know how people go out and some people like camp out and and, and to watch a parade. You know, um, the the exception to my personal rule that I'm making up right now would be uh, like the Rose Parade would be something I would love to see, but only if I had access to like some area that was overviewing it and I didn't have to fight all the crowds and I could see it from a different angle. Um, I think though it would be more beneficial if for instance, the Rose parade, they just said, instead of all of these floats driving by you, like Tyler says, really slow, put them in an area. Let me go look at them at my leisure and leave when I feel like it versus making me sit there for hours on end while these floats come by just put them in an area. I'll I'll go through them. I'll check them out. I'll smell the roses, whatever, and then I'm out. And uh, put some restrooms and some food there, and, and we'll be good to go. That's how I would like to see the parade. Put them in an area. I like that you like yeah. just have them fenced off somewhere <laughs> in a parking lot. Like, oh yeah. I mean, well, well, where are they right now? Where are they when they're building them in different <laughs> buildings? Right? Like, make a map. People people will go see them and like. You know, maybe have some sort of like cool voting thing. You can go check it out, but uh, you don't need it to roll. Like, what do you need it to roll for? That's that you don't need all that. I haven't. Uh, I haven't even brought up the inconveniences. Like, you've just added great arguments for me about not being able to go to the bathroom, fighting crowds of people, and if you're not in the parade, you're not going to the parade. Traffic now sucks. Yeah, and and, the, and there are two major parades, right? It's the Thanksgiving parade and the Tournament of Roses parade, and um, you know, it's like Thanksgiving parade is it's. You know, great, it's traditional and stuff, but it's cold. Like, who wants that? So now you're throwing that in. Like, it's inconvenient, now it's cold. At least the one in California, the weather's usually nice, but it's just too many people. They're going to charge you up the wazoo for parking because you can't get close. Like, it's a nightmare. No, parades are definitely a no-go. This is a blowout. You guys aren't even close. Would you? Yeah, will, I don't, will you attend yeah. a parade for the Aces if they win the championship? No. No, I want nothing to do with it. I don't want to go. Down. Actually, I'll avoid it because I don't want to go to the strip on that day if they go down the strip. Um, it, you know, so like, but I might, I will say this, because of the industry I'm in, okay, um, I, it wouldn't surprise me if a supplier, somebody that I work with, a beer brand or somebody had a, like an area where they're like, hey, come and you could, you could go and you could watch it from this area. Like it's a little more secluded where they have all the access. <laughs> <laughs> I might consider it, but I'll say this, like that same thing we had for the NFL draft. And I was like, absolutely not. I wanted nothing to do with it. I went nowhere near the strip for three days because I didn't want to fight all the traffic. Um, so no, you, that's, that's not my, that's not my thing. Much like when mountain uh, Ridge went to the little league world series. Uh, if your son's team won a national championship and there was a parade to the city hall to get the key to the city, like mountain West Ridge or mountain Ridge uh, did, would you go? Yes, because it's my son. Yes, I would go. Okay, so if it was like a family so member like a parade. or somebody that you'd I like knew that closely. Parade. Yeah, you'd like that you, parade. So, okay, the key but here. Yeah, but let, let's be honest. Like, that parade would have far less people <laughs> than anything else we've talked about uh, so far this morning. You know, like, far less people. Like, I wouldn't have a problem figuring out where to park. The, the key here is that Ed and Danny have spent three days now. Two. 
two days now telling me about all the things that are good about parades or try to convince people to go to parades that have nothing to do with the actual parade. Like, JR would go because his son did something, not because of the parade. Danny goes to Boulder City so he can shoot water guns at people, not because of the parade, (laughs) right? It's the, hey, would you go to a championship? Because your team won a championship, not because it's a parade. Everything is not what the parade is about. I like it could be, it could be it could be it's like a championship <laughs> luncheon and I would be like yeah let's do that you know like that's I like fine. waving at people I don't like people yeah. but uh if you're far away from them and you know they're you know they're waving back at you and they're nice they're on some nice floats I just think it's a uh, you know you get there you put the chair down like Danny said you put the canopy up you have some uh you know some uh food and beverages uh, also not the parade the food and beverages you can do somewhere else <laughs> It's so part of the ambiance. Like, I'll use a. Was that the word Mike Romali <laughs> used this morning? Did he ambience. use the word ambiance? Ambiance, yes. yeah. All right. Yeah, Ed, like you, you, you have a kid that played like softball. Like you understand yeah. that countless hours in the chair with the canopy up. Like it's over with. Like let's be done with it now. Unless it's really <laughs> worth it, we're it's good. I was sitting on we're a bucket giving signs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jr. Before uh, you make the drink for us, did you see? Cody Clemens, Roger Clemens' son, a position player, strikeout Shohei Otani. Uh, I saw it. Yes, I saw some clips. I didn't see it live, but I did see some clips, and uh, I thought it was awesome. I saw that he signed the ball or yes. something to him and said, "What you know, like that was what a pitch or something like that." Or what a I, nasty I think that's pitch! Cool. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. like the holy grail of your position player pitching because oh, uh, so he got, strikes out Shohei Otani and then gets the ball side. Like Cody Clemens can say something his father can't, Roger Clemens, and that he struck out Shohei Otani. Roger Clemens can never say that, yeah. but Cody Clemens can. All right, what are you yeah. making for us? So, you know, there's a lot of stuff happening this weekend. Um, obviously, you know, probably the most, one of the most prominent, or probably the most prominent is the 9-11 Remembrance, uh, which is, is, is Sunday. You have Bourbon Heritage Month, which is the month of September, you have UFC on Saturday night, obviously NFL tonight, and NFL all day Sunday and Monday a little bit. Um, and so I tried to think of a drink that I could use to combine all of those, and actually it was easier than I thought. Um, I don't think anybody in the mixology community would argue with you much if you told them that kind of the undisputed king of the whiskey cocktail is the old-fashioned. Um, it's kind of the it's It's kind of what... When you think of the description of a cocktail in general, which is spirit of any kind, sugar, bitters, water, um, it, it, it encompasses all of those things, right? Um, the old-fashioned, I will say, is a completely bastardized drink a lot of the time. You watch a lot of bartenders uh, still make it incorrectly by, like, adding club soda to it, which is an ingredient in it. Um, Sometimes they go a little overboard, like they'll take a whole like wedge of orange and muddle that in there with one of those like bright red garbage cherries. That's not even really the great way to do it. Um, typically, that can be done just by doing a couple ounces of whiskey, like a bar spoon or two of some simple syrup and a few dashes of bitters stirred with ice, uh, and then garnish it with a, a, like an orange peel or something like that or a Luxardo cherry. I'm taking it a step further and adding a little bit of a riff to it, which is still super easy to incorporate all of the things I spoke of. Um, so we're going to need three ingredients, basically. You're going to need a bottle of Horse Soldier bourbon, which is, you know, every 9-11, I think I speak about Horse Soldier bourbon. Yep. If you don't know the story of Horse Soldier bourbon, um, you know, look it up. It's, it's an incredible story. Too much for this segment today. 
but I, I use it every year uh, to commemorate 9-11. So Horse Soldier Bourbon has a few different marks, but I'm using the small batch, uh, which is a little bit higher in proof. It's 95, uh, 95 proof. I'm also going to use Howler Head, which is a, uh, a banana whiskey, and that's owned by Dana White. Um, it's a local brand, obviously, with USC fights happening this weekend. Um, I, thought it'd be, I thought it best to use Howler Head in this as well. And then I'm going to use some Angostura bitters or aromatic bitters of your choice. So rather than the recipe I told you before, which is like adding sugar, the sugar and the sweetness that we're going to get from this drink will be from the Howler Head. Because it is in a banana-infused whiskey, it does have some sweetness to it. Now, don't let it fool you. It's not necessarily a liqueur because it is 80 proof. Okay, so there, while there is some sweetness to it, it's foolproof at the same time. Okay, so to make this drink, you're going to take some sort of a mixing glass, uh, put some ice into it, and going to add an ounce to an ounce and a half of both Howlerhead Banana Whiskey and the Horse Soldier Small Batch. Add three dashes of aromatic bitters and stir it together. Strain that over like a large cube into a rocks glass. Or if you don't have like a large cube or sphere like sometimes we like to get fancy with, that's fine. Some people have those in their in their freezers all the time, but just use regular ice from your from your refrigerator. It's not as pretty, but it'll get the job done. Strain all those ingredients over the ice, um, garnish it with a peel of orange or a Luxardo cherry like I did, and you have an incredibly easy whiskey cocktail, an old fashioned riff, if you will, that's got a little bit of banana flavor to it to kind of commemorate and celebrate. Um, all of what this weekend has to offer with the NFL, uh, you know, UFC, Bourbon Heritage Month, and of course, you know, remembrance of 9/11. Sounds good. Yeah. Um, nice memories. Easy. I, 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 I love the um, the background, obviously, that you said on the drink as well. You've had those guys in here explaining it. Yeah, I mean, they're they're really special guys. The guys who created are, are, are uh, for those who don't know the story, just briefly, they are. Um, they are a few of the original soldiers to go into Afghanistan after the 9-11 attacks. Um, and they kind of, they, they were the first soldiers to go in and, as Green Berets. And um, after they retired, they decided that they needed to do something a little bit different. And they fell in love with whiskey and started a brand. But uh, every bit of it, this whiskey, um, is, has something very special to it. Every single bottle of the Horse Soldier Bourbon that is made is forged. They call it forged by fire, but the, the way they make the bottles, it's actually from steel. That was once the, uh, the towers in, in New York. So you, every time you touch a bottle of horse soldier, you, I, I, I kind of feel like you're touching history a little bit. Uh, it's a very special whiskey. Um, but the nice thing about it though, is it's, it's not, uh, it's not expensive, right? It's, you know, it's, it's mid tier price range stuff, uh, but very high quality. And so you can be proud to know that when you buy a bottle of this, you're kind of, uh, you, you know, you're commemorating something, but you're drinking really good whiskey as well. And then, you know, Dana's Howler had same thing. It's, it's, it, you know, people make fun of the flavored whiskeys all the time and they have, the, they certainly have a reason to, right? I, I'll give them all that. Uh, but I'll say this, like, you know, the first time I tasted the whiskey, uh, I go into a lot of those things when I taste them with, um, I try to be open-minded about it, but I, I, I'm also skeptical at the same time because I've tasted a lot of them that just taste like they're trying too hard. They taste like wood chips. They're, they're just not very good at all. Uh, Dana did an incredible job here with this, and to have it also be 80 proof, 
Um, it makes it great. So, I mean, not only does it work in cocktails as a, as a base spirit or a modifier, but uh, as a shot in a beer kind of thing, too. It's a lot of fun. It's an easy bottle. It's an inexpensive bottle, so, uh, but, but you, can, you can enjoy it while you drink it. So I, I enjoy it quite a bit. Look for the drink on Instagram at JR Makes Drinks. Follow him on Twitter at JR Starkus. He's our extreme mixologist, and he loves parades. Thanks, buddy. We'll see you next week. <laughs> Talk to you guys next week. Seven to three. It's a blowout. blowout. Yeah, not even close. We need, to, we need to find more pro parade people. <laughs> this is ridiculous. <laughs> I thought Starkus might help us out. All right. We got tickets to give away if you want to go see Def Leppard, Motley Crue, Poison, and Joan Jett and the Blackhearts at Allegiant Stadium. Call in now. 702-364-1100 is the phone number. That's 702-364-1100. You want a pair of tickets to go see Motley Crue, Def Leppard, Poison, and Joan Jett and the Blackhearts at Allegiant Stadium. We'll take caller number eight at 702-364-1100. And a shot to right. It's well hit. Yastrzemski to the wall. And it is gone. A home run. Max Muncy is back. All the way back. A three-run shot. The 2-1. Swung on. Hit in the air to deep left. That ball is high. That is far. That is gone. Uh, It's amazing. And I mean that. Absolutely He's done it again. How does he do it? A judging blast into the left field seats. All rise. Here comes the judge. All of the sun, none of the fun on the Press Box Summer Edition. Aaron Judge hit another home run yesterday. Yeah. By the way, the Dodgers won again. I don't think Max Muxy's all the way back. You don't think so? What'd he do? I think he's he's had three home runs in the last two games, but I just I don't think he's all the way back. What? What, what do you want him to do? Hit four in two games? No, I want him to be consistent. Three in one game. Okay. I, okay. No, three in right. two games. Two two the other night. No, Danny's saying you want three. I'm saying one. you oh, want three and well, one. That would mean he's halfway back, yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, he's still not hitting 200. That's fine. It's irrelevant now. Is he going to hit 200 <laughs> in the playoffs? That's what matters. You don't need him to hit 200 now. He can suck the rest of the season. You're going to be the number one overall seed in the playoffs. It'll be fine. Um, I did want to read a text from our Finley Kia text line. 69187. This goes back to UNLV basketball that we did during briefs. Um, Tech says, what really concerns me more than the players actually is the loss of so many coaches. Why did so many of those guys bail on Kruger? Uh, UNLV lost um, all three assistant coaches in the offseason. Well, first of all, they went to better programs. Florida, Texas, and I'm blanking on where Tim Buckley went. Was it Indiana? Um, they but, went to better yes. programs where they probably got paid more. So yes, if that, you're going to another Mountain West school, then I would be worried. Right. But they didn't. They went to better. They went to better programs. The interesting. The I think the more interesting part is that Kevin Kruger at the beginning of the offseason, he said something to the effect of, "We don't expect to lose any assistant coaches." Like he thought he was bringing everybody back for the following season, and then he lost all three of them. Right. Which that's a little bit of a concerning sign. Um, I think it's just a situation where assistant coaches are going to be cycled through just like players are, if not more. Uh, and the recruiting side of it's important. The relationship side of it's important. But I don't think you need the consistent assistant. You don't need consistent assistant coaches to No, you need guys win. who can recruit. Right. You don't, But you don't need the continuity. Right. No. You don't have no. to have the same guys. You got to get guys who can recruit. Helpful. But like... Eric Musselman lost all of his assistant coaches in back-to-back yeah. off-seasons when he was at Nevada. He was fine. Right. Because they recruited really yeah. good players. So it comes down more to who do you get here. Now, Brandon Chappelle's gotten a ton of credit for all the players that UNLV's brought in. I shouldn't say all, but majority of the players that come in. Brandon Chappelle's no longer here anymore. So 
if he was in charge, if he was the one responsible for getting most of the players, who's now responsible right. for that's, that? That's Who the key. Who's, who's, who are you bringing in that can recruit? Yeah. So that's uh, that's the intriguing part is who do these assistant coaches bring to UNLV? Right. That's and, really all that matters. Yeah. I mean, one of the guys that they ended up hiring is a guy who has one season of experience at Division One, but has a ton of experience at the AAU and high school level in Seattle. So does that guy bring you some five-star recruit? Right. Then it's a great, it's a great hire, right? That guy's great. So, it, but I, I will say, and I would think that that is what he was hired for. I would assume if that so. was his background in AAU. I would assume so. He's also the guy they hired last minute because uh, Brandon Chappelle left last right. minute. So it wasn't like they had a. It wasn't the beginning of the off season where they had a lot of options. I'm guessing had a lot of options, and instead it was more of a who's actually available. Okay, this guy might be able to bring us a high school player in the future. But yeah, it's, I don't think, the biggest deal in the world, but it is, I can understand it's a little concerning that you lose all your assistant coaches in an offseason, especially if Kevin Kruger really didn't think he was losing any of them. Like, he thought these guys were good to go, and then all three of them are gone. Not just one, but all three of them are gone. Not ideal. Um, I'm very distracted for the last 30 seconds of the show. I'm trying to watch a soccer game right now. Who is it? Arsenal's playing. Oh. Dumb game. Start at 9.45. I can't believe I didn't have that on my phone, Dan. Yeah, why not? What are you doing yeah, over what, there? What am I doing over here? I'm just mad it starts at 9.45. Let's go. These things I'm reading be... Twitter about the queen. Oh, is she still alive? It appears so. Okay. Find out tomorrow.